Hello and welcome to Business Without My name's Dominic Frisby and Ori Clark is a firm which specialises in both the law and accountancy and one of its partners is Andrew Ori, my co-host. And Andrew made the observation some time ago that his firm has so many interesting clients doing wonderful, interesting, fascinating things and he wanted to find a means to share those stories with a wider audience and the result is this podcast. So Andy, hello, good morning. Good morning to you. Who is our guest today and and what are we going to be talking about? Hello, Dominic. We are joined by the illustrious Yurati Hardy. Yurati is originally originally from Lithuania, but uh, was a tennis pro uh, for Australia, uh, but these days specializes in assisting people take their goods into Eastern Europe and Russia, uh, uh, being the slightly scary place that it is. Um, And this is a range of goods, like all sorts of things. I mean, um, when I first met you, Rati, you were doing toys, wasn't it? Isn't that that where you started in this sort of space? Yes, Andy, I started with the toys and with the Wiggles brand from Australia, if you can remember. Yeah, 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 Wiggles, indeed, yeah. It's quite a, quite a nice uh, market, I imagine, the toy market, isn't it? Friendly people or not? Oh, it's cutthroat and Is it cutthroat, the toy, toy industry? <laughs> no, the toy industry is very, very competitive and uh, major players such as Mattel, Hasbro and Lego are basically running, um, running the toy market. So to be successful in the toy market, you must have something unique. Yeah, okay. Something really, really different. So I decided to be a little bit more diverse. And um, I have moved into the food industry, infants products, textiles, and uh, some hygiene products. And the aim is uh, to be a little bit more diverse because uh, I've been forced to do that due to COVID situation. Yeah, not not nice. COVID, uh, the COVID situation forced me to look at other industries such as essential products. And essential products are food and hygiene at the moment. Would you look mainly at Russia or trying to take them there or which which market would you look at most? Most of the time, I look at the whole block, Eastern European block, which covers ex-Soviet Union, uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Belarus, Armenia, Georgia, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Tajikistan, and of course, Russia, because it's a big, uh, big, uh, big market, 150 million people. Should we be scared of Russia? I'm quite scared of them. Should, should we be scared of them? <laughs> I think you just have to be very alert with Russians. Right. Okay. Are they direct Russians? Uh, Russians are, uh, I would say, direct, but at the same time, they are very loyal if they know you. Okay, loyal. If they don't know you, you have to win their trust. So are they one of these places that you've got to sort of have lunch 54 times before you can do business? Is it, is it that kind of place? Absolutely. That's the place where you need to build that trust, not only with one lunch, but with multiple lunches and maybe some other other networking activities. Okay. Vodka. Abs- yes. I think you need to be a good drinker of vodka, not only in the evening, but also mid-morning. Very, very popular. 11 a.m. Just a <laughs> sip of vodka. Even when you're training for tennis? 
<laughs> uh, now tennis, I'll tell you, tennis was uh, a little bit different because I, I trained with the Soviet Union team and um, our training regime was you do not ask any questions. You just do what you're told to do. Okay. A bit of a, like a, a, bit of a, like a military training. So if you're told to be on the court for two, three hours and practice just one forehand, you just don't ask the question. You just do it. It was very intense. Soviets uh, are tough people. They're very resilient people. And um, as a Lithuanian, I was uh, part of Soviet Union system. We were told to, to be successful. You have to work very hard. You have to be disciplined. And um, I guess the worst thing was that you were not allowed to question anything. So you had to do what you were told to do. And a lot of people don't realize that this is very tough when you have absolutely no freedom. I've got a question for you following on from that and your comment about not not questioning. We seem to be uh, in a situation in the West. We're obviously going through this period of considerable political turmoil. And, for example, if you question the NHS or you question some other government body here, or you question, I don't know, Black Lives Matter, any of these big um, movements that are going on, you very quickly find yourself ostracised and excommunicated and in many cases cancelled. And I've had a conversation with a number of Eastern Europeans who grew up in the the Soviet era. And, you know, we talk about cultural Marxism here and... The, the comments I'm getting from a lot of Eastern Europeans is that in the West, we're doing all the things that happened in Eastern Europe. And meanwhile, Eastern Europe is now, you know, embracing capitalism, embracing free markets, embracing entrepreneurialism and all these things. So it's almost as though Eastern Europe is becoming what Western Europe and the United States was. Uh, meanwhile, Western Europe and the United States are going the, the way of the former Soviet Union. Would you agree with that at all? Yes, because when I grew up in the 1980s, it was a cold war. We were not allowed to do absolutely anything, looking at any Western brands, questioning, listening to radio, listening to to different TV programs. So, of course, now Eastern Europeans are embracing all of the changes. So it is a little bit uh, what you're describing it. So we're going through that moment where now you see Russians are becoming more and more interested in um, in free movement and uh, uh, Russians are, um, are much more uh, now uh, approachable. But doing business in, um, in Russia or Eastern Europe still is very old-fashioned way. You still need to understand um, their mentality, your their, uh, their way of uh, operating. So there is no easy solution. If you want to enter that market, you have to spend the time in the market. You have to, like I said, win the trust of those people. There is no easy steps that you can go and export your products and uh, think that you will um, reap the benefits immediately. So people get a little bit um, misled. They think, yes, Eastern Europe is becoming more and more westernized. I'm going to do business the way I do with Germans, English, Australians, Spanish. 
Sadly, it's not the reality. The reality is very different and uh, you have to be very patient and you have to understand their mentality and mentality still needs to change still uh, still you you know you have to you have to be very cautious because a lot of businesses got caught up in uh, non-payments in goods being copied in being sometimes tricked by customers there in Russia. So I, I just always warn uh, new exporters and uh, new companies to be very alert because reality could be very different. So, so the West is still a better place to do business, an easier place to do business? Absolutely, because you have the legal system in place and you have much higher professionalism. So yes, Western market is definitely much easier. However, if you look at Eastern Europe and Russia, it's a very big block. It's a big trading block. And um, not to reach that market, it would be very disappointing for a lot of businesses. So um, you cannot exclude that. And if you understand how to work in that block, you will be successful. You will reap the benefits in the long run. And are we in the West... Would you say we're starting to make the same mistakes that were made in Eastern Europe? Uh, no, no. I have to say that uh, the West is still uh, ahead and Eastern Europe is catching up. So we probably need another maybe 10, 15 years to catch up. And um, I always, um, I always um, admire Western way of doing business because I, I worked with Australian companies, with American companies, Japanese. I have not had so many issues as I had with Eastern Europeans, sadly. What issues would they tend to be? What A lot of issues that I had in the past and even, uh, even just recently, it's um, copying the products, particularly with uh, Russian companies. It's just simply unbelievable. You would send them product samples, you would do a nice presentation, and then two years later, you will see your product on the shelf of the Russian retailer. Oh, I see. Okay. One of the things you're selling at the moment, I think, is um, ice cream for dogs. Is that right? Yes. So this is something uh, very unique. It was developed by a Cypriot company and um, they identified uh, the growth of the pet industry. And um, we have a very interesting concept. It's a frozen dessert for dogs. What's it? What flavor is it? It's a vanilla flavor and... Um, it is uh, dairy-free, uh, made out of coconut, and uh, it is supposed to be helping your dog with diabetes, arthritis. So it has all the medicinal values, and um, at the same time, it's a very tasty dessert. I didn't know dogs ate coconut. Well, they are, they're supposed to be good for them. Okay, so you've got, you've got some ice cream from Cyprus, and I want to sell it in Russia. What do you do? So the first of all, how do we how do we get to export markets like Russia or Poland or Hungary? The first step is you need to decide: Are you going to go via a distributor agent, or you're going to open your own company? So this is the number one step. So you decide if you are a startup, you don't have big funds such as, let's say, Cypriot company with ice cream, it's a small company, they decide to use an agent like myself. 
So my role is to find the right channel in Russia. So what do I do? I go through a distributor because distributor will allow me to reach broader markets, supermarkets, veterinarian shops, pet shops. So I have to find the correct distributor that is in the pet industry. So once I have the correct distributor, then I need to send the samples. Yes. How do I send those samples? Do I trust the distributor that is not going to make a copy of my samples? Or do I jump on a plane and fly to Moscow together with my ice cream in my suitcase, which is, which is what I did? I think, I think it's a sort of unsung area agents. Um, I mean, agent is a sort of very specific thing where you don't take title of stock, but you, um, you get people customers and there's a yes. load of law that protects it, as you know, because um, it's come into play once or twice in our lives. But um, yes. that, that sort of says, well, because you don't own your customers, because because the, the supplier knows who the customers are, they could get rid of you at any time. So there's this quite powerful law, agent law, which sort of protects you as sort of an employee, you know, sort of says yes. that you have a right to compensation should something happen. But what, what it highlights is how difficult your job is basically because you it's it's a whenever you're a middleman or a middle lady it's like it's yes. it's the worst place to be really because you're always trying to get paid you know you're sort of you 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 know i mean you, it was interesting you know we, over the years because you you get say a percentage don't you of their sales and they're supposed to sort of report to you but then obviously as the sales go up they start wanting to get rid of you because they're like, well, why am I paying this agent all this money? It's a, it's a really strange little spot. But without agents, you kind of, you can't, you know, there's so many goods that wouldn't be available effectively because it's such a sort of, you know, important role because the distributors are lazy. They just sit there mostly, don't they? Correct. So you're absolutely correct. And that's why being an agent with one product range is extremely dangerous. So therefore, in my portfolio, I don't have just ice cream. I have juices. I have tomato paste. I have hygiene products. I have some toys. I even have an IT product, mobile payment systems. You have to be very versatile because you're absolutely correct, Andy. Once you start creating nice business for those customers, they decide not to have you because they think that they can do it themselves. So it leads to a very important element that we need to have general terms of business in writing. Whether you are an agent with an agreement, distributor in Russia, or... Do, do you think a Russian would honor an agreement like that? Are they happy to sign things and, and, and they'll stand by if they sign it? And this is, this is the challenge, like um, I was saying to Dominique, this is the challenge in the Western world. We can achieve that much easier. In the Eastern European world, this is still very much behind the times. They do not like signing things. They simply like a nice handshake, maybe nice lunch, and say, I will look after you. Andy, I will look after you. We're the best mates. Don't worry about it. Don't you trust me? And, sh and should you trust that? If you've had 12 lunches, should you trust that? Sadly, no. 
Really? And this is, and this and is this the is, same for all of these. I mean, it's a bit of a big area. Right? Countries like Kazakhstan chucked in, which oh, is the size yes, of China Kazakhstan. or something, you know. Imagine that. You're sitting in Uzbekistan, Tashkent. You know, they're extremely hospitable people. You will be having the most amazing dinners. You will have the most amazing conversations. And then you would say, can we have something in writing on our business? They will say, I'm offended, Andy. Oh, wow. I'm offended. So how do you, how do, you do business with those people? Yes, you still need to find a way to get those agreements in place. And sadly, I have been burned by believing in um, nice conversations and nice promises. So the learning is that whatever happens, you still need to have something in writing. And the best way to do it in the beginning of your business relationship. I always remind a lot of companies, I'll say with Russians, you have to see them not once, not twice, maybe three, four times in order to build that trust. And, and during these meetings, do you talk about business or it's literally like, what's your daughter and how's your brother? And Yeah. It's, it's just that I find that so weird when people have meetings and then you don't talk business. Like to a British person, or maybe just me, I just find that really peculiar that we spend ages talking about our private life or something like that. It's so odd. It is uh, very common and you will not believe it also. This uh, is very common with Japanese. I worked with a Japanese company. It's, uh, it's the same thing. So when you come, you don't just say, well... So what's, uh, you what's, know, what's on your agenda? Yeah. What's your agenda for business? You chat. You chat about the family. You chat. Do you about have to bring holidays. presents? Do you bring them? Do you have to like remember their daughter and bring them a present or something? You do because again, that shows that you care. It it shows that you are interested in them as individuals, and it's very similar with Russians. It shows that you are sincere, and it shows them that maybe you don't have that agenda just to make money out of them, that you actually look at the human side. But it's so, a lie, isn't it? It's a lie or not? Well, it's, uh, it's business. It's part of, the, part of doing business in, uh, in different cultures. And I guess if you know how to do it, it's okay. You just need to be, need to be aware. You know, you can't just simply arrive to a Russian company and um, say, look, uh, I want to sell this to you. No way. My price is this. Okay. They will look at you and they say, well, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe come back again. I'm too busy at the moment. I remember you telling me about this, um, this bloke who turned out he was an alcoholic because he was, he, he would drink vodka every time he did a deal and he was doing deals like every day. And so, yes. he, and so it's like, I mean, it really is, like they really do drink vodka a lot. I mean, as far as I can ascertain. I mean, I've, I've um, uh, she Courtney who came on the podcast, but um, she's got a lot to do with Ukraine and some of her stories in Ukraine too of people carrying around vodka bottles and you know you turn up to a meeting and the suitcase is just full of vodka. It's like wow, is that? I mean. That's right. You know, you, 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 it's sort of, you know, if you, if you went and did a deal tomorrow in Russia, you'd have to drink vodka. Oh, you would. And uh, it's, it's interesting if you say, oh, I don't want vodka. They could look at you and say, Andy, I'm not sure how I want to do business with you. So, you know, you need to play the game. And I think, uh, again, it is, it is normal. This is part of, uh, part of uh, 
part of the business they do. Like uh, English love doing some business deals maybe in a pub. Australians love also pub culture, barbecues. We just need to be aware and um, see if we can um, do business like that. If it's unacceptable by you or your company, you have to say, look, maybe business with Russia is not for me. And the best way is not to waste your time. Because if you just arrive for one, two days and you think you're going to get a big order in Russia, I can tell you it's not going to happen. So tell us about Eastern Europe, Russia this year with COVID. How how have people reacted to that? How bad has it infected those places and how have people reacted? It, it is uh, really bad, particularly in Lithuania. Lithuania, I think, is now number one um, in Europe with, with the cases per capita. It's uh, it's simply tragic. So business-wise, uh, it, it is a, a year of loss. In my case, I have probably lost 80% of um, revenue because I was not able to do any meetings. I was not able to visit any customers. It was it was simply tragic. And uh, the only thing I can only hope that maybe 2021 will, um, will be better. And right now it's all about, I think, just survival and um, trying to keep positive. Why is it so bad in Lithuania? Are they, are they, uh, are they not uh, doing a lockdown or are they locking down? No, they, I think the problem is they, they let it go a little bit. Uh, I, I was there in uh, July. I was there in August. Everything was open. People were living normal life. And I think that was probably too soon. Isn't it just the weather as well? Doesn't it just get worse in the winter? So everywhere is having this extra spike. Maybe I mean we all uh, we all say weather. Look, uh, I I spend most of the year in Cyprus. The weather is absolutely amazing. Three hundred fifty days of the sun, but sadly, COVID is there very high right now. So I don't know. I, I think we just have to be uh, careful. People got a little bit fed up, of course, with all of the restrictions. Uh, some um, some obviously cultures are better at being obedient, others are not. Which which is the most obedient culture? <laughs> I'm <laughs> going there. I I think maybe initially I thought the Germans were very obedient. They followed the rules. Austrians were very good. Eastern Europeans, I would say, not the best. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. To do with Brexit, obviously the UK is obsessed with Brexit and COVID. Do people in Eastern Europe even talk about it? Is it going to have any impact on Eastern European business, whatever trade agreements get made or don't get made? Of course, they all talk. They all talk and you would not believe it. I drove um, with my UK number plate car in Germany and I was in Poland People even stopped and asked me, why did you vote for Brexit? No way. Can you believe it? Because uh, UK number plates, it's very, we're very clear with the yellow number plates. And uh, I said, look, I did not vote for Brexit. I'm such an European. It breaks my heart. So yes, people talk. Of course, it's, uh, it's a very sore point. And particular for Eastern Europeans, like we said, Polish people, Lithuanians, that used to come to England, help the uh, building industry, help to pick up 
onions, lettuce, apples. There's an opportunity for you possibly actually with Brexit. This is going to be an opportunity because the agents become more important once you're not part of Europe because of the paperwork and the fiddling about and stuff. Yes. So actually there's an opportunity you could start bringing stuff back into England, I bet. Um, you know, especially if you're living out in Cyprus and stuff and you find some yes. uh, tomatoes or... Exactly. So that's that was uh, that was my plan because I wanted to have uh, my base also in Cyprus because Cyprus is part of EU because I have noticed in the last two years that companies that I represent here, UK companies, started losing their business in Eastern Europe because Eastern Europeans, like other countries, started uh, questioning: Do we launch a UK product in Poland? when we don't know what will be the implications in 2021. And when you don't have that certainty, normally what you do with the product, you postpone. So it, it, is, very, yeah, it is very sad and um, I'm very disappointed the way everything is handled. And I think it will be a disaster. That's my prediction. I was in um, Naples uh, earlier in the year, just before the lockdown, and... Uh, it was about 4.30 in the afternoon and we wanted a cup of tea because we're English and they didn't have any milk in the hotel, you know, mini fridge. So I went out to try and find some milk. And of course, Italy's got this ridiculous, I say ridiculous, but they don't have the sort of the culture of the corner shop that we have here where you can just go and buy anything. If you want to buy a pencil, you've got to go to the pencil shop. And if you want a guy a pizza, you've got, they've still got specific shops that do specific things. And there was just nowhere that sold, there wasn't like a general grocer where I could buy a pint of milk. And I was walking around, I must have walked around for about three quarters of an hour trying to buy a stupid pint of milk. And um, in the end, I went into a bar and I said to the guy in the bar, look, can you just sell me... A tiny milk? amount of milk. <laughs> uh, to, to, to make a cup of tea. And he was like, no, 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 we are a bar, we don't... I'm part Italian, so I was able to have this conversation in, in Italian. And I was... And, and, but, but he was going, no, 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 we don't... Uh, we're a bar, we don't sell milk. Um, you know, you, you have to order milk to have a cup of coffee. We've got milk, but we don't sell milk. And I was like, look, can you just... And then I went, look, I'm English. Um, and it's 4.30 and I want a cup of tea. Please, can you send me some milk? And that the, he just went totally quiet and he just went, Inglese. And I said, yeah. And he went, Brexit. <laughs> and I went, yeah. <laughs> but the next minute he just went, Vaffanculo eu, vaffanculo junco, vaffanculo von Grehen. And just went on this anti-EU tirade and ordered the barman to give me one of those huge two-litre things of milk and wouldn't let me pay. Oh, (laughs) wow. Sometimes it goes the other way. Yeah, I mean, I think Europe feels similarly about the EU. There are many people who feel uh, the same way about the EU in Europe as as in England. And um, we close our interviews, Urate, with two questions. And I'm going to ask you the first of those questions now. And that is, what are you most excited about uh, for the future of your business? I am, uh, I am excited about the future that we have uh, many opportunities in um, Eastern European bloc, Russian bloc, if uh, we understand how to operate. 
Because if we have a good understanding of uh, mentality of Eastern European countries and we know how to establish our networks there, the business is very promising. It is a big block and to not to target that block would be a big mistake. So I always encourage companies to look at Eastern Europe as a very, very good opportunity and uh, not to be frightened of entering that market if you know what you're doing. Good stuff. And if there was one thing in the world that you could change over the next five years, what would it be? Uh, I would love to see less litter. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Brexit, so I'm so relieved to hear you say less litter. No, something different. Litter. I'm uh, so upset when I see plastic on A3. I was driving. It's unreal on the road. I find it unreal. Like um, unreal. When, when they don't clean it, there's bits of roads near Slough. And you, and you think, how the fuck did it get there? Like what? Someone yes. threw it out their window. What? Like, yeah, well, people yes. throw stuff out the window and they think, oh, it goes on the on the road. It doesn't matter. It's, it's bizarre. Dominique, it's, uh, it, it is heartbreaking. I see in Cyprus, I see beautiful beaches. You probably heard of Lara Beach. Yeah. Where, where turtles nest. It's, uh, it's the most amazing beach. And have a guess what I see on that beach. Beer cans, plastic bags, flip-flops. I, I, I just, it makes me cry. The only thing I can explain is, is young people do it. There's something about being 17 and being a dickhead that you're kind of like, yep. it's a rebellious thing. Like, hey, aren't I cool? I throw litter. Because we've all seen people do it. And you're as a 40-year-old, you're like... <gasps> You know, like, what are you doing? But the volume of it, I just find it bizarre. Yeah. I know. What do we do? I would love to get that message across to young generation that littering is just killing uh, nature, killing the cities, killing just everything around us. It just looks so bad. I know. And I, it's horrible. I just... I, I just, I, I have, so for example, in Cyprus, I ended up cleaning beaches on my own. <laughs> really? I can't do that. I can't do the whole, the whole, uh, the whole beach. You know, you, every time I come and I take a bag and I collect the rubbish. They should just compress it and then use it to make bricks and build houses with it. Anyway, I'm, t- I'm starting a, a, a campaign to stop young people littering and it starts with my own children and it starts with their own room. Do you think this Cypriot beach is bad? You should look at my son's bedroom floor. On that note, um, uh, Yurate, why why don't you uh, tell us how people can uh, find out more about you and your business? Uh, I I work on word of mouth um, recommendations because I run a small business, so it is all based on um, recommendations and most of them come from um, Andrew Uri. (laughs) Thank you very much. Lots of contacts, fantastic networking company, Andrew Uri company. <laughs> yeah. So if uh, anybody is interested in looking at Eastern European um, export markets, it would be... Um, they can find you on um, LinkedIn, can't they? Yurati Hardy, uh, Hardy Marketing Solutions. Yes, yes, yes. But um, if we can go via Uri Clark, it will be, it will be amazing. <laughs> Andrew, you might go to Andrew Ori and say, I need an accountant and say, well, my fees are X, Y, and Z. And then you think, well, that's rather a lot or that's not very much, whatever your opinion of his fees are. I don't know what they are. But the, 
what a- a- Andrew brings to your business, and and this isn't he, he doesn't realise I'm about to say this, but it's just the extraordinary network of people that that company has. There's no so many different people in so many different fields, and. Um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about how ideas go viral and they can't happen without mavens who are basically introducers. And that's what uh, Andrew Orr is. It's very yes. kind. It, to be honest, it's uh, accountants. Um, you know, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it, it, it's one of the best bits of the job. You meet lots and lots of people and you have long-term relationships with them. Lawyers, you come and go. You see a lawyer when you've got a problem. You know, accountants, you see them every year and... Yeah, I've had my accountant since I left. Um, it's just too much. It's like changing banks. It's just too much effort. They just they know your little foibles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've changed wives more times than I've changed accountants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're on LinkedIn, Urate, but you're not on Twitter or anything else. What if people want to get in touch with you? They've got to call Andrew, have they? No, they have. They have to call Andrew. Yes. Uh, Yes, because uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm an agent, small company. I have to be also realistic. If I'm going to be all over, I can't manage it. So it's all about being uh, effective and also bring the results to the clients. So the best way is word of mouth recommendation coming via Uri Clark or via LinkedIn or via email, urati.hardy at gmail.com. There we go, urati.hardy at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Uh, It's been great talking to you. I love the direct, no-nonsense, come-straight-to-the-point Eastern European way, even if they do steal all your ideas and all your products without paying you. (laughs) Thanks very much, everyone, to listening, and we'll be back with another show very soon. Thank you. Thank you. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you catch the next episode of Business Without Until then, from Andy Urie and me, Dominic Frisby, it's cheerio.